Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 25 through verse 35. Luke records this. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents, Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. May the Lord add his blessing this morning to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Thank you for standing as we read his word together this morning. It's good to worship the Lord, it's good to worship Jesus, to lift our praise to him, to fix our eyes on him, to join in on what is going on at all times in heaven. This morning we continue this series on encountering Christ in Advent. Advent is a word for coming and so we celebrate the coming of Jesus and his birth, uh, even as we look forward to his second advent, his second coming, as he returns as our coming king. We don't want to just know about these candles and what they represent. We don't want to just know about hope. We don't want to just know about peace. We don't want to just know about joy and love and light. We want to encounter those. We want there to be a revelation of hope, and peace, and joy, and love, and light to our soul. And the way that we do that is by encountering Jesus, the one who is hope, the one who is peace, the one who is joy, love, and light. And this morning, we will look at this idea of Jesus as our peace and encountering peace. Christmas chaos would be what Artist John B. Gruel was thinking when he drew Christmas Eve at Yaps Crossing in December of 1918. Gruel was the creator of Raggedy Ann and Andy. How many are familiar with Raggedy Ann and Andy? He was the creator of Raggedy Ann and Andy, but he was also a prolific artist. And he drew many of his uh, pieces around this fictitious town called Yaps Crossing. And if you were able to really get close to it, you would see that this is kind of like one of the precursors, forerunners, all the way back in 1918 to the Where's Waldo, or can you find what's, you know, this blank thing in this drawing. And so if you were looking really close, you'd see that there's so much going on. There are cranky people. There's people who are slipping on the snow. There are people who are bringing home Christmas trees. And there is this overall sense of chaos as everyone in Yaps Crossing is coming together to get ready for Christmas. You may feel like that right now as we're 15 days away or so from Christmas, the, the chaos of Christmas. But it's not just at Christmas that there's chaos, is there, isn't it? Because uh, Friday morning, I was coming back from the high school after dropping off kids at school, and as I came out at the four-way, everyone is coming into school from all of these four directions. There's traffic everywhere, and someone decided it would be the perfect time to back up a cement mixer right into the middle of the road. 
Now, I know they were not thinking about what's going on around there at 7.15 in the morning. They just got a job to do. And so here I am, I'm at this four-way, and I'm ready to pull out. I do pull out, but yet there's cars coming from all four directions, and the cement mixer has just stopped everything. And the car in front of me starts laying on his horn. You know, that does so much good, just laying on your horn. To which the guy who was in charge starts yelling at the person who is in the Subaru. And then he starts yelling at the workers and the workers start yelling back. I mean, I had my windows up and everything and I could hear. It was chaos. Horns honking, people waiting in line, trying to get to school on time. And workers and each other just yelling at one another. A typical day. Not just Christmas. Chaos is upon us almost every day. Which leads me to ask you this question. Leads me to ask myself this question. Is peace possible? Is peace possible? In the midst of all the chaos of Christmas and in the midst of everyday life and in the midst of all the conflicts that we have in our world, we see the news and seems Russia and Ukraine still fighting, but they've become kind of in the backdrop. You have Israel and Hamas fighting. You have these other places in the world. You have China, Taiwan, tensions. There's places all over the world. Chaos, conflict. Is peace possible? I would argue this morning that it is. The Hebrew word for peace is the word shalom. Say that with me. Shalom. Shalom. Peace. Shalom. Shalom is not this kind of mushy feeling that's dependent on circumstance. That everything has to be right for there to be shalom. Shalom ultimately one day will be present in its fullness. But shalom is a place of wholeness. It's a place of completeness. It's a place of safety. And even if the world around us is not in shalom, I believe it's possible as we encounter Jesus that we can live in increasing places of shalom. Increasing places and realities of peace, wholeness, completeness, and safety. So much so that it overflows to the people around us and the world around us. Because God desires his people to be people of shalom, peace, who then allow it to spill out into a world that is in conflict and chaos. It's possible, but it's possible only when we encounter the one who is peace, Jesus. This morning we want to look at this story of scripture and other places in scripture to see and to get this idea together of encountering peace, looking at the life of Simeon. But before we really launch into this and look at Simeon's life, we need to see that there is a need, a need for consolation. There are sermon notes in your bulletin. You can fill in the blanks and add extra notes that are there. But there is this need for consolation because here is Simeon, and in verse 25, it says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Consolation is this idea of comfort. In the midst of conflict, in the midst of things being wrong, there is consolation, comfort. There is peace being brought, wholeness, completeness, and safety. There is all of these things brought. He's waiting for consolation because what was always intended was peace. What was always intended in God's creation was shalom, wholeness, completeness, safety. If you look at Genesis chapter one and two, and if we were really to go in depth on this message, we could probably take a couple hours to look at all these scriptures and the concepts that are there. So I'm just gonna kind of hit the high points this morning. But in Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two, we see God creating the world, 
specifically the Garden of Eden, and everything that is described and created there is shalom on earth. By the end of it, he says everything is good, and he places man and woman in the garden. He said it was very good. There was wholeness, completeness, safety. Everything worked perfectly. There was no anger. There was no fear. There was no hostility. And if you look at the first two chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, and compare it with the last two chapters of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22, you see pictures of perfect shalom. That what God intended, when Jesus returns as our coming king, he will make all things right. And as it was in the garden, it will be forever and ever in heaven and on this earth. Everything will be restored to perfect shalom. Why? Because it's what God has always intended. When people say, where is God in this broken world? A simple answer to all that is he is here and present with us, but this is not his intention. The brokenness of this world is not what he intended. Peace is what he intended. What happened? Well, Genesis chapter 3 tells us that peace was destroyed. Peace was destroyed when Adam and Eve, who were given one simple do not command, violated it. God told them, you may eat of any tree, the fruit of any tree in the garden, except one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when Satan in the form of a serpent came and tempted them, they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and immediately shalom was destroyed. If you would turn with me, maybe keep finger in Luke, we'll come there just in a moment, but if you would turn with me to the book of Genesis, to Genesis chapter three, I want us to look for a moment at the ways and the effects of peace being destroyed. Genesis chapter three, first book of the Bible. The effects are seen in a number of ways. In verse seven, after eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the fruit of it, Verse seven tells us the eyes of both of them, Adam and Eve, were open and they realized they were naked so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Immediately they realized that shalom had been broken and they covered themselves. They are naked and ashamed. They hide from each other. Verses 14 and 19, or 14 to 19, give us a bunch of more effects. We'll read through these for a moment and comment on them quickly. It says, verse 14, so the Lord God said to the servant, he, serpent, he gives, the Lord gives cursing upon three different people, the serpent, the devil, then upon Eve, the woman, and then Adam, the man. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. The animals that once lived in peace and harmony with one another now turn into this predator and hunt and be hunted kind of lifestyle, kind of world. And where man was working and caring for and naming all of the animals, now man can live in fear of animals that are predators around us. There are problems, the animals, there's conflict with the animals. Verse 15 tells us there's conflict with the the devil. Verse 15, I will put enmity, which is hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, and he, speaking ultimately of Jesus coming, he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. It's the cross. It's the beginning of redemption for the first time. Salvation is spoken of for the first time here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that he, Jesus, will crush the head of the serpent, Satan, and he will strike his heel at the cross. There's conflict with Satan. Verse 16 tells us that for women there will be increase in pain and in childbirth. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Not only will there be pain in childbirth, 
But in the relationship between man and woman, in a marriage relationship, there will be conflict. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Initially, God created man and woman in equality side by side to be co-heirs and co-rulers of creation. But in the midst of this, the shalom of God being broken in creation because of sin, there is now conflict in relationship where the man will desire to rule over his wife and the woman will desire to go back and to buck against that where once they were side by side in equality standing together, now there is this hierarchy as a result of sin, as a result of shalom being broken. As we said already, there's the hiding from one another back in verse seven, that they would not live in this equal and co-abiding, shame-free relationship. For the man, hard work would become part of reality. Cursed is the ground, it says in verse 17, because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food and you, and you, until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and dust you will return. Work will be less than productive. It will be difficult. It will be hard. And ultimately, what did not exist before, physical death, will be present. The worst part of this is verses 23 and 24. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work from the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side and the west side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. In the midst of this death, there is also separation from the relationship that they had with God in the garden. Shalom, broken. Shalom, destroyed. The need for consolation, the need for comfort was clear. We see a world in need of consolation, a world in need of comfort, living under the effects And the results of the curse, the results of shalom and peace destroyed. If you go back to Luke chapter 2, in the midst of this sad picture, hopeless picture, we see this man, Simeon, expecting peace. Verses 25 to 26 says again, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. With all of this backdrop, we are introduced to a man. This man named Simeon. He understood that for Generations, his people Israel were waiting for the consolation, the comfort of Israel to come. Way, 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 way back. His great, 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 beyond father. A man by the name of Abraham had a relationship with God, and God made promises to him. And God said, I will bless you, and through you all people will be blessed. Those who Bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. And all nations will be blessed. I will give you descendants as, as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And from you, there will be a king. There will be a people, a nation, Israel, that will come. And there will be a king that will come, a Messiah, a deliverer. And throughout the ages, Israel, the people of God, were waiting for shalom to be restored, for comfort to come again, for peace to be on earth. 
And this man, Simeon, had been promised by God, by the Holy Spirit, that you will see the promised Messiah, the Lord's Christ, the consolation, the comfort of Israel. And so it's on this day that Simeon is in the temple. Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, had come. They had come because it was custom. If you read earlier in this passage, it was custom that after the time of purification, which would have been about six weeks, about six weeks have passed from Jesus' birth to this day. At the eighth day of Jesus' life, he would have been circumcised as a sign of a covenant between God and Abraham and God and the people of Israel. And now he was to be brought into the temple so that the ceremonial practices of the law would be taking place and so that a sacrifice would be able to be made. And it is on this day that Simeon, moved by the Spirit, comes into the temple. A man living in peace. A man expecting that the one who would restore shalom and bring comfort to Israel and all of her sufferings was coming and that he would see him. And it's on this day, as he lives with this confident hope, this confident expectation, that the need for consolation, the need for consolation is coming to be fulfilled. And it's coming as we see the source of this consolation, the source of peace. Who is it? Just as we looked last week that Jesus is our hope, Jesus is also our peace. Verse 27, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple court, Simeon did, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the law, the custom of the law was required, we see Jesus. We see Jesus, whose name means savior, whose name means deliverer, whose name means rescuer, and who is our peace. Jesus, our hope, is a person. Our peace is a person. And his name is Jesus. He is this hope because Jesus is the one who brings salvation to all who believe. Listen what Simeon says as he takes Jesus in his arms. Read it again, verse 28 and on. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Simeon tells and makes this prophetic declaration over Jesus that he will bring shalom, peace through salvation. He will bring glory to Israel as a consolation because they have been waiting. They have been waiting. He is the one that they have been waiting for for generations and generations and generations. He is the one. He is their glory. And he is a light to the Gentiles. For those outside of Israel, he is the one who will give them light and revelation to understand how to find peace, how to find salvation in a world that is so broken. It's important for us to, to understand something that when Luke uses the word salvation throughout his gospel, he uses it in a very holistic kind of way. Sometimes we think of salvation as being forgiven of our sins and one day we will go to heaven as a result. And that very much is part of that gospel message. But salvation as Luke speaks of it is a holistic saving. In other words, 
everything that Jesus or everything that was broken in this world as a result of sin in Genesis chapter 3, Jesus' work on the cross is the reversal of it. Wherever there was shalom and it now is broken, Jesus' salvation comes that there would be a restoration and a recovery of all that was broken, all the shalom that was lost throughout creation. Luke uses it in terms of restoring shalom in the midst of brokenness. But isn't it interesting that Simeon says not everyone is going to be on board with this. Think for a moment. How many of us like the brokenness of this world? How many like the brokenness of your own life? How many like the physical suffering and struggle? How many like the conflicts? How many like the isolation and separation from people? How many like the fact that there, for women, that there's pain, increased pain in childbirth and all of these things that we read about? How many like the fact that there are tornadoes and hurricanes and destruction of earthquakes and famine? How many like that there are war? I don't think there'd be anybody who would be like, yeah, sign me up for that. Sign me up. I want the brokenness, the loss of shalom in this world. I want it. There wouldn't be anybody, I think, on the face of this earth who would say, I like this and I want this. Yet, Simeon says that there are going to be those who are high that are going to fall. Because the shalom that they have been seeking has been a shalom that they have been trying to self-engineer. Trying to fix the world around them for their own benefit. Trying to use power and control and wealth to be able to benefit and to be able to try to create shalom for themselves. And Simeon says, for those who are finding or trying to find peace in that way, their hearts and their minds are going to be exposed and instead of this place of height, they are going to fall. But he says at the same time, those who recognize their brokenness, those who recognize they can't do anything by their own control or power or money or influence or position, those who recognize that they have nothing to fix the brokenness of this world and the brokenness of their lives, those are the ones who when they see Jesus as peace, as salvation, as they come to him, they are the ones who will be lifted up. And even Mary, his mother, will be pierced as a sword in her own soul. In other words, there isn't one person on the face of this earth who is not going to be impacted in some way, shape, or form by this king, this child. Even his parents will be pierced. Jesus is salvation for all those who believe. Some will and some will not. Simeon says he can now be dismissed in peace. In verse 29. As you promised, you now dismiss your servant, in peace. The world around Simeon had not changed. The circumstances of his life had not changed. The circumstances of Israel being oppressed and inhabited by Rome, the circumstances of the brokenness and the loss of shalom throughout the world had not changed in that moment. But he says, you now dismiss your servant in peace. Why? Because he was in a place where everything that God had promised to him was fulfilled. And he was able to say, I am now in a place of perfection, completeness, wholeness, and safety. Why and how? Because I have seen the one who is going to bring shalom. I asked earlier if peace is possible in a broken world. 
And I believe Simeon's life, because he models it, I believe Simeon's life tells us that it is possible to have peace in the midst of a broken world. His life gives us a few keys for that. He was devout, we are told. In other words, he was very committed to the Lord. He was full of the Holy Spirit. Even before Pentecost had come, he was a man who the Spirit of God was upon him. He was a man full of and led by the Holy Spirit. And he was a man who was living in confident hope of the promises of God that had been made to him. He believed the word of the Lord and he built his life on it. And when that final promise was fulfilled, he was at peace, even though the world was not. It's possible. And so in these last few moments, quickly, I want us to walk through how we, like Simeon, can live and experience and receive peace in Jesus. I'm going to give your fingers a little bit of exercise, whether if you have a Bible with you, whether you're going to flip through it in a, in page by page, or whether you're going to scroll through it with your thumb, one of the two. I'm going to keep you moving here for a second. We want to look at for a few moments receiving peace in Jesus. The first is receiving peace with God. You may need today peace with God. If you're in Luke chapter 3, make your way back in the Bible just a little bit to the book of Colossians, to Colossians chapter 1. You'll have other gospels, Luke, John, then Acts, Romans, two Corinthian letters, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then Colossians. Colossians chapter one. Speaking of Jesus, Colossians one, verses 19 and 20. Receiving peace in Jesus, you may today need peace with God. Verse 19 of Colossians one. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in his humanity, in his incarnation and becoming man. He was fully God already, but in his humanity to have the fullness of God lived in his physical body. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Here's what we're told. Every single person on the face of the earth needs peace with God. We talked at the beginning of how the relationship between God and man, how Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden. There was this separation. They were living in an absence of shalom with God, an absence of peace. They were not in perfect relationship because of the sin that they have committed. And sin is the universal problem of every single person on the face of this earth that keeps us from peace with God. But we're told that Jesus, by his blood shed on the cross, made peace with God. Peace is something that doesn't just happen when there's conflict. There are action steps that must take place to make peace. And the action step that God had to take to make peace between him and man was to offer his son as a sacrifice on the cross that by his shed blood, by his blood, he paid the price, the penalty of our sin. So that all who would believe would be raised up. That salvation would come. That there would be peace with God. As he made the way to reconcile all things in heaven and on earth back to God with his blood. Imagine Jesus in the midst of a hostile relationship stands in the midst and comes before the Father and says, I am the one who makes the hostility go away. I am the one who through my life and through my blood shed on the cross, Father, makes a way for peace to come. For those who were isolated and separated from you for sin, they come through me. My blood stands for their forgiveness so that peace can be between God and man again. You may be here today and you may say, I don't know if I am in peace with God. 
So often if I ask someone, how do you know, what do you think it takes to be right with God? And oftentimes the answer is, well, I think I'm a good person. I think I've been trying hard. I think my good kinds of things, I think God's gonna accept me because I've done a lot of good, good things. And I hope it, my good outweighs my bad. The scriptures are clear that our works are like filthy rags before God. None of us can make peace with God on our own, but Jesus is the one who has made peace by his blood and he welcomes us to come through him to God to be brought into peace. That casting out, we are brought back into the garden, so to speak, with Jesus as the one who makes peace with God for us. Receive peace in Jesus by also looking for peace with others. If you're in Colossians chapter two, or uh, Colossians one, turn back a few pages, you'll come to Philippians and then Ephesians. Ephesians chapter two, verses 14 through 18. Ephesians four, or Ephesians two, verses 14 through 18. Says this, for he himself, Jesus, is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached Peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. This context is Jew and Gentile who lived in a constant hostility with one another. And so not only did Jesus come and in his blood make it possible for us to have peace with God man to God, but he also made it possible through his blood to have peace with one another. He did this by the fact that every single person who trusts Christ as Savior, who comes into peace with God through the blood of Jesus, now is brought into a new family, now is brought into a new humanity, where now it is not Jew and Gentile, it is one new humanity, the people of God, the family of God. And so this hostility between Jew and Gentile gets broken down and destroyed in Christ. So there is this horror, vertical peace between God and man, but there is also this horizontal peace between mankind and mankind together. This is where it comes together. Friends, we see it playing out, don't we, in the midst of the Middle East, in Jew and Arab, in Hamas and Israel fighting against each other. We can have diplomatic tries of solutions. People have been doing this for a long time. You can fight to try to have these things, but the only way that there will ever be peace is both sides coming to King Jesus. Both sides coming to King Jesus. That is where there is peace between God and man. It's the only possibility between man and man. So some of you today whether it be in your marriage or whether it be in your friendships or relationships with others, may find yourself in a place of hostility. Apostle Paul says, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. How do we do that? One, you have to submit to Jesus. You can't control what the other person is doing. You control you and you alone. As much as it depends on you, seek to live at peace. So Lord, how am I in relationship with you? Am I at peace with you? Is there anything that I need to deal with between you and me so that we are at peace? And then Lord, is there anything that I need to do? Do I need to extend or ask forgiveness? Do I need to pray and bless them? Do I need to seek to love and to serve them? And how do I do that? So that as much as I can say, 
I don't know that there's anything that I yet have to do to live at peace with them. So that that person, whether it's your spouse or whether it's a neighbor or a family member or someone in the workplace that you are in hostility with or there's conflict with, so that if they are willing to, they themselves make peace with God and then come and make peace with you, that you don't have to wait for them, you are already ready. As much as it depends on you, live at peace with each other. The hostility that was, that was created in the garden in relationships takes two. Rather than talking about what they need to do, deal with what you need to do. Jesus is the way. He is the peace. And some of us in the midst of the conflicts of our lives and the conflicts of relationships may need to sit before God and say, God, what is it that I have to do so that there is peace with that person? So that as much as it depends on me, there's peace with them. The door is there. There's nothing that they can say, you haven't done this. Peace. Peace with others. Jesus is the one who has broken down the dividing walls of hostility through his shed blood on the cross, making peace with God and making it possible for there to be peace with others. In the garden as well, there was enmity, conflict between Satan, the devil, and the woman, or Satan and humanity. And so we need to receive peace with the devil. Now, as soon as I say that, some of you are going to go, we can have peace with the devil? We're going to do have a treaty? That's not what I'm talking about when we have peace with the devil. Peace with the devil comes by standing in the authority and the victory of Jesus. We don't kind of make treaties with him. We don't deal with, let's see how we can get along. It is standing in Jesus. Because here is what John says in 1 John 3, 8. The reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Does that sound like getting along side by side? Destruction isn't standing side by side, holding hands and singing kumbaya. Jesus came to destroy the devil's work. And at the cross, he destroyed the devil's work. And one day, all that is wrong that the devil does will be forever cast into the pit of hell and the pit of lake of fire forever and ever and ever. And it will be free of that. But today, peace is not getting along with or being made right with the devil. It is standing in the authority of Jesus and in his victory. Some today may find yourself harassed by him. It doesn't have to be that way. As you find peace with God, as you find peace with others through forgiveness and through offering yourself in a way that serves them and loves them, the devil will lose his power over you so that you are able to resist. Because the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work and to bring peace to us in the midst of a world that the enemy is at work in. I'll never forget there was a a woman that I had relationship with in our former church and she's always said, tell my story, tell my story, tell my story. Because she, for as long as she could remember, would go to bed at night with harassing and condemning thoughts against her. And she would go to sleep with these thoughts running through her mind and she could never get them to stop. And she would wake up in the morning and those thoughts would be there. They would be against her. They would be against God. They would tell her how horrible and terrible and worthless she was. And she just could never get away from them. Until she heard about the authority that is hers in Jesus. And the fact that Jesus has come to destroy those works of the devil in her life. 
And we walked through a time of prayer where she exercised her faith in Christ, where she put her faith once again and she forgave some people and she asked God for forgiveness of some things in her own life. She got full peace with God. She had already been a believer in Jesus, but there were things that she was harboring in her own life. And so she confessed those before God and she forgave people that had hurt her in her own life. And she was able to take a stand and be able to say to the devil, you no longer have a right to use those things in my life. And every spirit that harassed her was cast out of her life. And she went to bed that night for the first time in her life that she could remember without those thoughts harassing and condemning her. And she woke up the next morning in that same place of stillness in her mind. She was at peace. Not because she made a treaty with the devil. (laughs) Sounds, Sounds silly, but That's not what we're talking about with peace. We're talking about taking authority over the evil one in the victory of Christ and what he has done on the cross so that we live in peace. Two more quickly and we'll move through these. Peace with creation. Peace with creation. Romans chapter eight, verses 18 to 23, talk about the brokenness of creation and how creation is crying out. It says this, I consider our present sufferings, Paul says, are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from the bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. And not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption as sons, the redemption of these bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Remember all those things of the the creation groaning, the, the fruit not coming, the pain in childbirth, the death that our bodies experience, the decay that our bodies experience. Paul is saying one day, When King Jesus returns to make all things right, everything that is broken in this creation will be restored. Everything that is broken, the absence of shalom, the absence of peace will be restored to what it was as it was in Genesis 1 and 2. Toil, conflict with animals, the creation breaking down, childbirth and pain, all of these things and death they one day will be no more. We wait for them in hope. The creation cries out. It's still waiting and we cry out. It's still waiting, but there's peace still in it. How? Because of this last place, the peace of God. Peace with God, with others, with the devil, with creation. This is a different kind of peace Philippians 4, 7 says, and the peace of God, which transcends or goes beyond all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We may have peace with God. We may have some peace with others. We may have periods of peace where the enemy is held down. We may have this future peace with creation, but like Simeon, What do we do while we wait? We cultivate the peace of God. Friends, worship like we did this morning where we just declare the worthiness and the holiness and the righteousness and the beauty of Jesus, where we lift him up We cultivate an awareness of his presence with us. We spend time in prayer. We saturate ourselves with the truths of scripture. We live in fellowship with one another so that we are able to stand side by side in relationship. We go on mission with him, joining him with what he is doing in the world. There is a reality that when we do these disciplines, they are not just things to check off. These are pathways that lead us to the peace of God. 
We talked about in the Sunday school class this morning that relationship with him in this way doesn't just happen. It requires work. It requires effort. It requires discipline. It requires cultivating relationship with God. And as we cultivate relationship with God, the peace of God that goes beyond all understanding begins to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus so that like Simeon, though the world is falling apart around and maybe never changes in some of these areas, so creation may groan more and more and more and conflicts may increase and increase and increase and you may do everything you can to live at peace with others but it's not there because others don't want you. What do you do? Just say, I'm not gonna have peace. No, we live in peace with God and we cultivate a sense of the peace of God in our lives. It's relationship with Jesus. He, he is our peace. Close with this story. December 24th, 1914. World War I. It's nighttime on the battlefields of Western Europe. And it was quiet as German soldiers on one side and British soldiers on the other with no man's land in between where they were fighting, lobbing all kinds of things across at each other, bullets, mortars. It was quiet on that night, Christmas Eve night. The British soldiers, the story is told of them being in their trench And all of a sudden, they could hear the sound of voices singing. They began to talk and whisper amongst themselves, is that the tune that I think it is? And they began to hear that what was being sung across the way in the German trench were Christmas carols. After a little bit, those in the British trenches began to hum along and began to sing in English as the German soldiers were singing in German, singing these songs together in the midst of this night across the way in the trenches of World War I. Eventually, one of those soldiers on the British side called out and said, I'll come out if you'll come out. And the first courageous soldier stood up and from the one side and eventually from the other side stood up and they began to come across and meet in no man's land. British soldiers and German soldiers sharing and singing Christmas carols. As it was told, sharing tobacco and wine. Even the next day, on Christmas Day, some of them in places played soccer together. There are stories of those. An impromptu, unofficial Christmas truce happened on December 24th and 25th of 1914 during World War I. And what was the source of that? The next day they went back to shooting at each other. But what was the source of that for those few hours of peace? It was Jesus. It was his birth. Whether they realized it fully or not, it was Jesus having come. Those songs would not have been sung that day, would not have been celebrated if it was not for the fact that the King of kings and the Lord of lords has come, the one who is our hope, who is our peace, who is our joy, who is love, who is light. If he had not come, there would have been no peace. And though it was just a taste, it is a picture of how we find peace in this world. And in this life, though the world may fall apart, like Simeon, we can find shalom.